Love Talk Radio. Deadpool has earned worldwide three 
$116 million. Uh, I weep for the future. <laughs> Why? All right. Now, I'm, I'm, well, I do, but it has actually has very little to do with this movie. My general um, malaise with society is more to do with this movie than my particular fear of the future and upcoming generations and whatnot. For it to stay in the top ten based on what went into the top ten last year, and remind you, four movies made over a billion dollars and one movie made over two billion dollars currently. Um, for it, if, if we <clears throat> if we're using 2015's numbers, um, or anything like this year's. Deadpool's going to have to double its worldwide uh, ticket sales in order for it to stay in the top ten as the year progresses. Or you know, looking at some of the other world. major releases, that's that's probably about right, actually, considering what else is coming out this year. What do you think it'll actually make six hundred? You think Deadpool will make six hundred million? No, I mean I think your projection about it having to double what it has right now is probably accurate. Oh, okay. I'm not entirely sure if it actually will or not. I don't know. I don't know what kind of legs this movie is going to have. Well, right, like I said, it's 316, right? At the moment. Um, last year, the two movies that were around that were The Maze Run of the Scorch Trials, which uh, was also put up by Fox, and that was $312 million, and SpongeBob, Sponge Out of Water, at $323 million. And those were 22 and 23. Now, that's also their final take after their entire run. Deadpool has a very long, a big, a big opening. It broke all kinds of records for opening in February. Uh, it's smashed, the, them, smashed them to bits, it did. Well, that's because February is usually a dumping ground. Well, I think I think that's a great place to even start this conversation because – when you know it was put out in February on a fifty-eight million dollar budget, which tells you a couple of things. Fox did not have a lot of faith in this movie, um, for whatever their reasons were. They, they, I don't know what Ryan Reynolds had to do for the Fox executives in order for them to greenlight this. You know, I don't know. Partially like, okay, financed it. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's if they it was like okay, well, you have to star in these movies, or you know, or if he blew somebody in, in the executive office. I don't know what Ryan Reynolds had to do at the end of the day to get this thing made. But they were skeptical to say the least, or it wouldn't have been made for a $58 million budget. Most of it went into making Colossus look relatively believable. Um, and, it w- <laughs> and it wouldn't have come out in February because they've already green, based on the success of this thing, and this is a massive success. I said when, when it was, oh, when, when, when the weekend totals were at 260 million, it hadn't even crossed 300 million yet. I said the Fox executives were, were carrying Ryan Reynolds on his shoulder, on their shoulders around the studio. Um, I mean, when you talk about a, a studio that was embarrassed last year by one of the top five biggest bombs in Fantastic Four stick, uh, you know the, what a recovery. You know, I think this actually might have made <laughs> might have made more than what Fantastic Four's budget was. So, you know, they've already greenlit Deadpool 2, and they're talking about Cable and, and this leading into an X-Force movie. Uh, the other big thing that, that, even though there have been rated R comic book movies in the past, like the Blade Trilogy and P- 
Punisher movies and such. Um, this is the this is the first one post the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it, and people are treating it like a uh, a flashpoint in future movies where studios will stop being afraid to make movies uh, that are rated R, in the sense that they will stop trying to appeal to downgrade the movies to appeal to the largest largest audience, you know, including kids, and just try to make the best movie that they can, ostensibly, and whoever goes to see it will go to see it. Because I'll tell you this, Robert Winfrey, I don't know about the about the when you saw it, but I saw it on Valentine's Day, the eleven o'clock show on a Sunday morning, and the theater was full and there were children there. There were actually elementary school age children with their families. Girls, as a matter of fact. And that is yet another reason I weep for the future. <laughs> so, I uh, th- this is a monstrous success for Fox, and it's really yeah, uh, it sets them off on the right foot going into their second big release later on this year, uh, X Men Apocalypse, which will you know, which is probably going to do around five hundred million. That's probably about right. All right. Uh, I I saw this movie at 11:20 on a Tuesday. There were about 20 other people in the theater. Maybe 25. Uh it seemed well received by them, overweight neckbeards that they were. Hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> uh yeah, but only in actuality, not in personality or intelligence level. <laughs> Thanks. It's more a shot at them than praise to you, but I will also praise you. All right, let me go ahead and throw out the rather perfunctory plot synopsis here. Such as it was. There's almost no plot to this thing. Well, it's a very simple plot. Yeah, we're introduced to the character of Wade Wilson, better known as Deadpool, as he is in the midst of attempting to find a guy named Francis, who we come to find out is responsible for simultaneously curing his stage four lung cancer that has also spread into his liver, brain, and prostate, uh, but also made him hideously ugly. And even at that, they... Sorry, I know what Deadpool looks like in the comics, and uh, they they didn't really hit that particular mark. He looks more like just a skull. I mean, there's it's you know grotesque. Here he just kind of looks like a burn victim. Um, which is fine. It's what they were going for. Um, and he kind of looks like Freddy. You know, a slightly less scary looking version of Freddy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we get the backstory that goes into him. He used to be a member of the U.S. Special Forces. They never specify which branch, because apparently Special Forces is now some catch-all term. Uh, he undergoes this experimental procedure to try and cure his cancer after he falls in love with oh, Vanessa, a girl by the name of Vanessa, played by... Marina Bacharin. Marina Bach. Is, We're going to Marina Bacharin. Mar- okay. 
who is better known to nerd culture as uh, Inara from Firefly. She also plays the psychiatrist, the, uh, oh, Jesus, the uh, medical director on Gotham. And she's hot as hell. I, I'll go ahead and take your word for that. You don't have to take my word. Just look at her. She's hot. I looked at her. <laughs> and she's amazing. I don't know what's wrong with you. Suffice it to say, two people can look at the same body of evidence and arrive at two very different conclusions. Yes, but I'm right. She's hot. You're not right. I am right. Even my wife thought so. Want me to go get her? No. That. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> In what when way you... does a preponderance of people invalidate my perspective? If my wife says something is true, then it is. Except well, for when she's talking about... When you think you're married to her. Except for when she says that white people invented the term bougie, in which case she's wrong. She's so very dead wrong. Uh-huh. Anyway, <laughs> substituting for the Weapon X program of the original source material, he is in this group that's never actually given a name, being experimented on by a gentleman named Francis, who is completely and utterly forgettable, as is everyone else in this movie except Ryan Reynolds. Oh, that's not true. Colossus is funny. Yeah, I disagree. Keep your opinions out of this until we actually start talking about the movie. Just stick with the plot summary. Uh, anyway, it turns out that Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, <laughs> because we just need you know more obscure X-Men being brought into this, which is, I'm, I'm not complaining. That comes across as overly snarky. I shouldn't actually complain about that. It's not a valid criticism. Uh, they're trying to recruit Deadpool to be one of the X-Men. Deadpool, given his propensity for murder, profanity, mayhem, etc., has no desire to be with them. But they keep screwing up his attempts to get Francis and make him reverse the physical damage that he suffered as a result of his forced mutation. Uh, the bad guys kidnap his girlfriend, forcing a final showdown. People X die. Gonna give it to you. Oh, gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. Go on. Please don't do that. <laughs> Ever. He's gonna give it to you. Oh, gonna give it to you. Are you done? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, they forced that, you know, theoretically big epic final showdown. That's neither big nor epic, but it's a final showdown. He discovers that what was done to him was is irreversible. He shoots Francis in the head amidst Colossus trying to give a hero speech. Uh, Vanessa accepts him despite his, you know, monstrous deformities. Uh, roll credits. There's really no plot here, guys. I mean, it's the barest of plots. And, uh, just, okay, you can't think there's no plot. It is a revenge story... Uh, it, it is a love story turned revenge story. A boy meets girl, boy falls in love with uh, boy and girl fall in love. Boy finds out he's going to die. Boy decides to make a terrible choice given uh, the circumstances. Boy believes himself to be no good for the woman. Boy goes on a re- goes uh, out for revenge to get the people that hurt him. Woman learns to accept the boy for who he is and what he's become. Roll credits. That's not a lack of plot. That's just a very basic one. 
I cannot express to you how strongly I would have preferred she react in horror to his face and just leave. <laughs> would have been different, but I mean, it would have given I, me the biggest laugh of that entire movie. <laughs> I don't know. I think people wanted them. I mean, they. I, I think you can do the same thing where it doesn't work out in between movies and reference it. But the, look, this was already there was a lot going on with this movie that was already going to uh, be a risk. I think doing the will they or won't they, they don't on top of everything else they were risking in this movie would have been a bad choice. Um, there, there comes a point where you can only push the American audience so far before they will turn around and reject something. And people could have liked the movie all the way to the end, but if the boy doesn't get the girl, and the girl doesn't, you know, over, overlook the boy's disfiguredness, people will soundly reject the movie out of hand. And, you know, whole hog. And that's not what they wanted. I mean, the point of this was to make... The, the Ryan Reynolds and company were trying to make the best Deadpool movie they could make. And to have and her and turn around and reject the them was possible. And, I mean, again, the purpose of movies... Yes, movies can test you and make you think and, and stretch your emotions, but you also want to come away with a satisfying ending. At the end of the day, you want the boy to get the girl, don't you? Yeah. Nine out of ten movies, You're asking the wrong guy. And nine out of ten movies, most normal people want the boy to get the girl. It's most normal people think, most normal p- people think irregardless is a word. And I am talking to those people. People, lend me your ears. Don't throw them at me. Get it? No, I get it. They probably don't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, I like this movie a lot. Um, I wanted to see it again after we saw it on Valentine's Day, but, uh, you know. Why? That way. Shut up. Um, I'm, not, no, like, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm genuinely curious. What about this movie prompts a second viewing? Uh, I enjoyed it for the same reason I saw Star, Star Wars twice. I wanted, you know, this is something I missed. Because or, you're a fanatic you know, about Star Wars. I'm surprised you only went twice. I didn't have enough time to go. I didn't have enough time in my schedule to go a third time. At some point, I have to parent my children and go to work. Um, so, or, I recant my previous statement about you being a fanatic about Star Wars. <laughs> um, otherwise, I would have seen it several more times. Uh, but... You should see the when years ago when I had no wife and no kids and all the time in the world and a lot of disposable income. Uh, you, I can't tell you how many times my friends and I saw Pulp Fiction in the theaters. But I digress. Um, this moves at a very very quick pace. Uh, they're very funny char- very funny characters, very enjoyable characters. Like I said, a very simple plot. The action was not was not gory like when we reviewed you know. Uh, Final uh, destination, that that kind of a thing. You know, it wasn't Splatterhouse as such, but it was slightly over the top. Kind of, you know, think Quentin Tarantino with less blood. Um, and so that was kind of a fun thing to see in in these movies. Um, as far as a sort of comic book movie goes, it was just off kilter enough to be different but still enjoyable. So uh, I really, I enjoyed Deadpool a lot. My wife, who's not a comic book fan, but sometimes will go see comic book movies with me. It is not a movie lover per se, 
also really enjoyed it. So I think that t- so I always use her as sort of a barometer for did this movie speak to general audiences? You know, if my wife likes it, then the answer is yes. If she didn't like it, then the answer is no. Um, and I will tell you that most of the people I saw in the audience walked away happy. Um, don't know how the kids felt, but traumatized. From the opening, <laughs> probably from the opening credits, uh, where, <laughs> where they don't take them seriously at all. You know, starring the most handsome man in the world. You know, it was starring was, God's favorite idiot or God's right. perfect idiot. Um, and then you know like the real heroes of the writer. Bag. Written yeah. by the real heroes here. Yeah, <laughs> with a CGI character. I laughed my ass off. I mean, there were po- there were parts of it where I don't think anyone was reading the credits, and I was, and I'm sitting there in tears laughing at this thing, and I don't hear anyone else laughing, and then they're, like, hearing me laugh, and they start to read it and catch on, and now everyone's laughing. Um, so I thought that was funny. I enjoyed the nonlinear storytelling, you know, that the, the, that it sets you up right into the action that everyone at this point is very familiar with. That set piece of him fighting the um, the droogs on the bridge is pretty much the big action set piece of the whole film, with the exception of the end, which you see a little bit of uh, as he's you know fighting Ajax. Oh, the end is like them on a green screen. Um, but uh, you know, but they they kind of put you right into the action and they go back and tell the story. And I think one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that it wasn't just a superhero movie. It really was a story about a relationship. Um, you know, this, he doesn't start off, Wade Wilson doesn't start off as a guy with powers or doing anything especially heroic. He's, uh, you know, he's a leg breaker, essentially. You know, um, he's a heavy. And he happens to fall in love with this woman and this woman falls in love with him back. And it's a, it's a story about it's their love story, and then he finds out he has cancer. And I, and and the way they handled that I thought was really good too. You know this idea of never mind what it's doing to the person who has it; it kills everybody around you. And I don't know if you've ever how, you know dealt with people with cancer before, but you just it, you just don't get cancer. Everyone around you feels it. Um, another great place where you can sort of see how that affects people was Breaking Bad. You know, how Walter got cancer in, in the first season and, you know, how that affected his entire family. I thought that was handled very well here. And I thought that was a good enough impetus for him to take this wild chance in a miracle cure that turns out to be a terrible nightmare. I also like the fact that the way that he gets his powers is the villain try, is, is, is in this world, everybody is possible. Um, or the, it is possible to, um, under s- extreme circumstances, cause mutation in someone, and that mutation may give them a marketable power. I thought that was a fu- that was a fun idea. I thought that was an interesting idea. Um, so I, it went on a little long, I thought, but overall, it's uh, only a hundred minutes long. It's it, it, took a while and I thought it was a little unnecessarily long to get you the way they needed to get you. I don't know. Maybe if they'd shaved off some minutes, I'd complain it was too short, but it just felt like that whole sequence of him volunteering for the program, getting the powers, fighting Ajax, and then coming out of the, uh, out of the ashes just went on forever. Um, this is one of my only criticisms of this. 
Uh, as far as the side characters, Gina Carano does her best work in this movie. She says three lines. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I loved Colossus. And then Air fights with a. Uh, he's not even there. <laughs> this, this, it, sorry, it's Colossus as a character in this. This is weird because as a character, I think they finally get Colossus right. Right. He's Russian. He's big. He's a bit of a Boy Scout. And that's what the character is supposed to be. He's also a CGI mess. <laughs> yeah. It, it you have one actor providing motion capture for him. You have one actor mm-hmm. doing the voice acting. And you have someone else who does the facial capture. Um, there, uh, there's again, three different 50, people that go into that. And he still looks like crap. Uh, I forgive them. It was only a $58 million budget. Um, and then the girl that's with him, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, I don't really know anything about the character. I thought she was fun. I thought her interactions with Deadpool were funny. So, you know, overall, and we can kind of break these things down, I'm just sort of laying out all the things I enjoyed. Uh, overall, I thought it was pretty perfect. You know, like the, not a whole lot that I would cut, not a whole lot that I would change. I thought the performances were pretty I much cut all the way. I would cut everything with the blind woman. What was that? Everything with the blind woman could have been cut. Why? Why do you insist? Why do you insist for somebody who's like, oh, you know, we can't have acts all the time? Why do you want to cut scenes that show you another side of the character that build that build upon the character? Because Deadpool's a standard character. No, don't, there's, there's not a whole lot of depth here, and the depth no, that we do get from him is done in other ways. We don't need him and someone... We don't need him and an old blind woman debating the merits of different furniture from Ikea. No, I thought it was great that you got to see different sides of him. I thought you got to... You know, look, he lost the love of his life, and the whole purpose of his interacting with Blind Al is to show that he still has some sense of humanity. In a very you warped way. You put way too much thought into that. <laughs> no. Award me my points when I make a good one. You can't be like, oh, you overthought that. That's bullshit. No, I honestly don't think they cared that much. I think they wanted to get Ryan Reynolds mispronouncing Swedish words. No, I think his whole inter- – maybe that's why they went with the Ikea bits. But overall, I think that the, the, the blind owl seems were to establish the fact that he still had a sense of humanity. And that he cared for this that he cared for this person. See, because I didn't get that at all. I thought it was simply an issue of convenience. No, I I think initially, but I think You got you know, more of his humanity out of him not killing Bob. <laughs> I disagree with that. I th- I think there was another level of humanity there. But I think, you know, they're showing you these scenes of him dealing with blind Al Set, a, set apart from him going after the thugs early on as his, as, his, uh, as his wardrobe was evolving. And I think that was the thing. You know, she sort of anchored him into reality instead of him becoming a completely uh, soulless murderer. Because I, cause as much as, you know, we have the, the R rating and the excessive violence and all that, if he had turned into just a soulless killing machine, I don't think people would have rooted for him. I think at the Certainly end of the day... <laughs> I think at the end of the day, you can't turn him into a xenomorph. 
you know, just a soulless killing machine. I think you still have not. to anchor He makes him. wisecracks that break the fourth wall. People are going to cheer for him either way. No, you're being unnecessarily snarky now. I, without them establishing that he still has some sense of humanity and some anchor into the world of, uh, of nonviolence, he becomes uh, – he, he, beco- he doesn't become an antihero. He just becomes, again, a xenomorph, a killing machine. And this was done purposefully so that people would still see, oh, look, he's still someone we want to root for. Even if he's just cracking jokes with this woman or at this woman's expense, at least people are still getting the signal that, okay, he's still a good dude. He's just out for revenge. Eh, I disagree, but I see your perspective. I only brought it up because you're talking about things that could have been cut. And okay, I think well, a great deal of what he did of that interaction could have been cut without it without issue. No, see, I disagree. I think you have to keep all of it. I would have shaved off some of the uh, a little a little bit of the off his descent of him, into insanity of him getting his powers, which is a key component of that character. Again, I don't think I would have cut too much of it, but I think they they could have shaved off some of the fight scenes since he's going to fight Ajax later. That didn't have to go. Yeah, as long that as could have, that that could have been cut. It's again, it's a it's not a, even a very good fight scene. Um, there was just little bits and pieces of that entire sequence I would have cut. Um, they could have gotten to the fact that he, you know, that he is a heavy, a little bit quicker. You know, the opening scene with him with the pizza and, and the pizza delivery kid and the apartment again. Probably could have shaved off a bit of that scene too. Entirely possible. Um, but besides that, all right. What else do you want to talk about? Eh, I don't know. For those of you who have not, uh, I, I suppose I should actually state this for the record. For those of you who haven't picked up on it yet, I didn't care for this movie all that much. Why, Robert Winfrey? Why didn't you care for this movie very much? Outline because nothing. Nothing about this movie appeals to me, personally. That makes reviewing it and critiquing it difficult for me because I have to divorce the fact that I am – I don't like dick jokes, and there's gobs of them. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't like – I don't like bad action, and none of the action sequences in this movie are especially impressive. I don't like overuse of CGI, and there's gobs of that too. And I'm not a big Ryan Reynolds fan. So let's what exactly who does this movie appeal to if I don't care for any of none again there's nothing here that appeals to me personally You don't feel like the movie was made well You don't feel like the movie was acted well Uh no I didn't say that I said I don't care for it There's a substantial difference But I mean in but I don't I don't want to go into a lecture about what makes a review a review but isn't that part of what we're supposed to be doing here is looking at things from an objective point of view. Yes, which is, again, part of my point here is there, there are good things about this movie. Again, if you think, if you just can't stop laughing anytime someone uses some euphemism or other word for penis, you're going to be rolling in the aisles. That's not me, but if that's you, God bless. I don't mean that sarcastically. If you like Ryan Reynolds and want to have his children... There's plenty here for you. 
if you like snarky characters who and you know constant references to things outside of the film then there's a lot here for you to enjoy I actually enjoyed the fourth wall stuff. I didn't think it was overdone at all. I thought it was just the right amount of fourth wall breaking. There was one I wish they had done a gag where he runs off, where he runs off camera, like you know, like Bugs Bunny, you know, where he's outside the film and has to like run back in again. It was the only, you know, which I guess it would have been a little difficult to do that, but I, I, it would have made me laugh. Uh, yeah, as far as what's good about this movie. Uh, Look, again, not a fan of Ryan Reynolds, but he absolutely carries it. I mean, if he doesn't work as Deadpool, this whole thing is a flop from the beginning, and he absolutely rises to the occasion. Believe it, it was a part he was born to play. Yeah. I I mean, again, not a fan personally, but kudos, you know? Being that kind of snarky, fourth-wall-breaking guy is actually a lot more difficult than people give it credit for. And he does it very well. He's able to you know, give the character humanity when it needs humanity. And again, he's really, I think, the only kind of memorable thing from this movie is him as Deadpool. You complained about the action sequences not being good. There are two major ones. There's the, there's the opening bit with the cars that everyone's seen in the trailers. Then there's the final fight scene at the uh, at the na- at the old naval base, I guess it is. Um, it's a decommissioned different. aircraft carrier at the very least. Yeah, um, and I think you know in between that there's very short snippets of him shooting you know shooting former members of, of the gang. Uh, but Tiger outside of that, went over with the Zamboni. <laughs> um, but uh, but as far as action set pieces go, there's only those two. What was what about them didn't you like? Because I thought they were fine. Well, they're fine in the sense that there's nothing glaringly wrong. There's also nothing of note. They're, the perspective that they have on a lot of them is generally adequate. We don't have any uh, you know, kind of pullback sweeping scenes of the action that has occurred, which is fine because they didn't actually do anything. This all has to be done mostly with computers and a few prop cars that they push into position. So I understand why you can't have maybe you know, the, you know, the, over, you know, the flying overhead shot, but I prefer stuff like that. All right. Uh, what, what level did you want them to reach where it would have been adequate? I mean, because I'm thinking the last year when we reviewed Terminator Genesis and we had buses flipping over. Did you want that? No, so that was... Get, was that, or was that too much? Where, that was too where, much. Give me a base level of action you, you would have thought was acceptable. I don't know. That's hard to qualify. I mean, did you joke and scream about the Transformers being almost nigh uh, intelligible when they do their action sequences? But boy, is there a lot of it on the screen. We didn't like the bus flipping over in Terminator, so that's all too much. And this is, I guess, too little or, 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 or not interesting. So I'm trying to figure out, in your mind, what would have been an acceptable action sequence? I don't know. I honestly have to go back and like start thinking seriously about what appeals to me as far as you know, prolonged action sequences go because I 
as much as I know what I like and what I don't like, I have a, that's one of the areas that I have a difficult time actually kind of differentiating you know, the degrees to which I like or don't like or articulating all of the techniques that have to be used as a filmmaker. I feel like you liked a lot of the action inspector, if I remember correctly. Not all of it, but a fair amount. Okay. Yeah, that's all that my, uh, my my other gripe with the action in this in Deadpool specifically is there's too much CGI, and it's really I'm, obviously CGI. Well, other than Colossus, that is entirely you because I didn't notice. You didn't notice the guy getting dragged out, that fell out of the uh, you know open back of the car being drugged along the freeway that was just all CGI'd. Nope. Or the containers and planes sliding down the tipping aircraft carrier. Just uh, I'm the only one who sees that. All right. If that's <laughs> so my, just me, then okay. So my so my father called me up today, and one of the things he said was I saw Deadpool. And um, he was like, the movie wasn't interesting enough for me to suspend my, to completely uh, suspend my disbelief. So I had a real hard time with a lot of the action because the action was un- incredibly unbelievable. You know, there's, there's no way. And he specifically refers to uh, Vanessa, who's in the chamber and, you know, and the chamber falls off the aircraft carrier. And she somehow manages to survive that fall. Yeah, no. So I was like, well... <laughs> and I think was well they established that it was a containment unit that was meant to take a you know high impact, and so the purpose of her being in there was to protect her from that fall. So it made sense to me, even though she realistically it's just would have a pressure that. chamber. It was meant to take uh, heavy doses of damage and protect the person inside. No, it's meant to provide a <laughs> vacuum that they can manipulate the oxygen levels in. It's not made of anything special. It was made of adamantium. It was not made of adamantium. <laughs> it was made of it was made of uh, uh, kryptonite. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I uh, so he was like, yeah, that took me right out of the movie, and I'm like, maybe you should stop. <laughs> maybe you should stop seeing comic book movies. He also was like, oh, I don't understand how he's able to regenerate and all this other stuff, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, Dad. Stop seeing comic book movies. But, um, yeah, a lot of the action, like, you know, I, I'm just thinking back to my complaints about James Bond, and the difference there was they weren't dealing in a very supernatural world where crazy things happen and science goes out the window, and this world was. You know, anytime you're dealing with a lot of these superhero movies, um, the themes may be realistic, but a lot of the science is nonsense. And, you know, as long, you know, and and characters can get away with, you know, death-defying, you know, Tom Cruise hanging from an airplane types of guns and nothing happens to him. And I just accept that. I don't really, I don't count that against the movie in any way because it's just just sort of been an accepted part of action movies that these people are are pretty invincible. Um, So... I don't know. It didn't bother me, but it bothered my dad, and and I don't know. Seemed to be bothered by it as well. Yeah, I don't care at that point. I mean, yes, she should be dead because there's nothing special about her or the thing she's in. But honestly, I don't care. Okay. The fact um, that she survives a fall that should have killed her in this movie is 
honestly the least of my personal issues. So being objective and being fair, let's go through this again. Did you think the movie was well made? I think it's well written. Uh, okay. Surprisingly so. I mean, what a, well, you complained a lot about the humor, and I complained about the subject of the humor. The way it's actually framed and delivered is much more intelligent than the material. And you also complained that the plot, that there was almost no plot, or, you know. So I'm it's, it's funny to hear you say. Well, it's funny to hear you say you like the writing and then complain about the plot. I suppose I should differentiate between dialogue and writing in this case. <laughs> okay, you like the dialogue. It was better than I expected it to be, in all honesty. As far as the plot, again, it's a minimalistic plot. And what, well, hang on, one of the things I said. Well, I can't complain too much about that because this whole thing is a vehicle to get Deadpool onto the screen, so we can't have an intricate plot that defeats the purpose. Well, I was going to say, I think there's more to it than that. I was talking to my wife about this, like. You know, look at X-Men Apocalypse is coming out, you know, in May, um, you know, or Civil War or Batman versus Superman. A lot of heavy subjects going on here. You know, the idea of what place does humanity have in a world filled with people with superheroes, you know, or, uh, that, that seems to be a, a subject that carries over from all, for all three films. And they're dealing with it in different ways. With Batman versus Superman, you have a human hero who has decided to go to war with the alien hero because he feels the alien hero is a threat. Um, and, the, and the government's a little sketchy on him as well. Uh, then you have uh, Civil War, where the governments are just about fed up with the superheroes and feel they need to be reined in and controlled. And you have Apocalypse, where ostensibly you have people with powers opting to say, to hell with humanity. You know, <laughs> there's no reason for us to, to hide, hide in the shadows we went when we should be ruling the place. Um, these are all very heavy subjects, big subjects, and you know. And I'm just and I'm just really you know at, at the tip of the iceberg here uh, in talking about the themes. There's other stuff going on in these movies as well. Whereas Deadpool was a very personal story. The stakes were not very high. It's not like they were chasing after some MacGuffin, you know. At that. You know, without it, the world would be destroyed or would have allowed the villain to take over the world or anything. It, it, the villain has a very, has a very uh, modest um, motivation. He wants to create superpowered individuals to sell them to the highest bidder. That's it. He's, he's essentially a weapon dealer and a human slaver. And it's not even about that. It's that he did it to a guy who who didn't like the effects of what had happened to him, and that particular person decides he's going to kill him, or well, he's going to make him fix it, and when he can't fix it, he's going to kill him. You know, never mind wanting to stop the program or be a hero or any of that stuff. It's a, it's a very personal, almost no-stakes story. The stakes are entirely with this individual, which is very different from any comic book movie that I've seen. And that would include you know, the early 90 gritty violent ones like the Blades and the Punishers. You know, the Punishers is a very personal story too, but even that got blown big. And ended up being, you know, more than just this one man's personal struggle, which is what the Punisher really is. 
So, you know, you have these Marvel TV shows like Jessica Jones and Daredevil where, you know, they get away from the, the big the big things and the big topics and the big themes, and they can focus on the more personal stuff. This is one of those examples of the personal stuff being focused on in a feature-length movie, which is very, very different from what we're used to. And that's something I really liked about this, that for once, you know, we weren't looking, we weren't looking at a hero who, or an anti-hero who's concerned with the fate of the universe. He just wants his mug to get fixed. And when he can't, he kill, you know he wants to you know shoot the person. So I almost thought that was refreshing. And I know a lot of the reviews for it cited that as being one of the things they liked as well. As you know, people cited it as sort of a sea change in comic book movies because most of the comic movies are sort of like Age of Ultron. You know, yet again you have another bad guy who wants to take over the world. You know, don't bad guys ever want to do something different? No, I agree about that. Actually, that we're suffering from a pretty severe case of, uh, in like gaming, you refer to it as power creep. The one that came before this was this big, had this many explosions, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're getting them back together again, so boy, we better be bigger this time. And right. it, it creates a real sense of fatigue because, hey, how much bigger can you get? How many times can you see a city get blown up? You know, in the Avengers, they blew up New York. In Transformers, they blew up Chicago. <laughs> in Age of Ultron, they took out Croatia. For lack of, I don't, I don't care. I'm calling it Croatia. Um, you know, it, it was nice to it was nice to see what was like almost an. It had Deadpool had a very independent feel to it, and it was made like an independent movie. It was you know, Fox just said here. Here's money. Go make your movie. Stop bothering us. <laughs> we'll, you know, Ryan Reynolds. We'll call you when we want you. Opposite, uh, you know, opposite of you know, a fifty-year-old, uh, highly paid actress like Sandra Bullock. Well, yeah. Let's not mention that movie ever again. <laughs> As one right. who has yeah. suffered through it, I like the. I just really, you rather not bring it up. <laughs> All right. So. Um, Outside of that, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of? I feel like, like this this movie personally tortured you. I almost feel bad I made you watch it. Yeah, that's that's not, no. I mean, if I had felt that strongly about it, I'd be angrier. I'd have more complaints, and they would. No, it's just there's nothing in this movie that, given the person I am, is going to appeal to me, and I'm okay with that. I am well aware that in many ways I am the antithesis of the average moviegoer. That's fine and dandy with me. I don't understand your complaint that this movie is for dummies. I didn't I mean, say it was you know, for dummies. You're implying it. I am not attempting to cast dispersions the intelligence levels of anyone who likes this movie. I know very intelligent people who like this movie. I, I like this movie. Oh, and I'm just going to resist burning you there. <laughs> oh, thanks. No, it, look, one of the things that I think is there's important... A place, well, hang on. I, I think there's a place in this world for dick jokes. And you can personally not like them. Lord knows there's a lot of like Will Ferrell-type humor I don't like. 
there's a lot of Ben Stiller humor. You know, both of us don't like. We we, we definitely meet on that one. Um, but there is a place in this world for it. And I don't think it was over. It, you know, here's my problem with a lot of, we've talked about this before, about why we both dislike American comedy, is that they take the same joke and beat it to death. I didn't feel like that was done here. And I feel like that's one of the things that you're complaining about is, oh, my God, it was a, it was 90 minutes of dick jokes when it was. No, that, no, uh, that isn't – sorry. I didn't articulate that very well. I think he – I think the dialogue at times leans heavily on referring to the phallus for whatever reason. Not all of them are jokes about it. Uh, I, again, when I said the writing was good – I meant that they take this is not, you know, again, when you mentioned American humor, American type of comedy, this has a much more like British sensibility to it. Yeah. In terms of type of humor, it's, you know, a lot, it's generally speaking a lot drier. It's a lot more rapid fire. You have to actually pay attention to the dialogue to get it. <laughs> All they Colossus. did was take. I'm just thinking Colossus dragging him. Now he's broken two hands and a leg, and Colossus is dragging him down down, down the bridge. He goes, I'm going to bring you to Professor X. Which which one? So is this McAvoy or Stewart? Right. These timelines are so confusing. See, that stuff was funny to me. Yeah, I understand why people enjoy that humor. I enjoy the way it's set up. I enjoy the intelligence and the thought that was put into... The humor. The humor just at a base level does not appeal to me. And I understand the difference. And that's the thing about this movie that I think really is maybe getting lost a little bit as people talk about it. The first, this is not a comic book movie, first and foremost. First and foremost, at its base, this is a comedy. It's done with comic hero, with, with you know, a comic book property within that universe to one degree or another. And appealing to that demographic, but much the same way that, you know, Iron Man is sci-fi or the first Captain America is an adventure movie, this is fundamentally a comedy. And if the brand of comedy being presented is not to your taste, you're not going to enjoy it. And that's not good, bad, indifferent, or whatever. That's simply an... That's, simply how comedic sensibilities work. What you find funny is what you find funny. And I'm not, I'm the last person who's going to say, you know, how dare you find penis humor amusing? I mean, I don't, but there's a lot of people that do. And there's a lot of people that might find what I find humorous, not funny. I much prefer, I'm much more a fan of uh, dark humor. Uh, you know, situational black comedy. And I don't mean Tyler Perry. That's what appeals to me personally. That's what, you know, kind of gets my sensibilities going. And there's, uh, again, I can't complain that everything is not comedically to my taste because that's not a valid criticism. What makes you laugh is a deeply personal thing shaped by your life experiences. See, uh, you know, I'll Critiquing tell you, it is not necessarily valid. See, I'm not especially a big fan of dick, dick jokes either, but I, I thought things like the relationship between the Ryan Reynolds and Marina Bakker and you know, Wade Wilson and Vanessa, I actually laughed more at their dialogue with each other. 
my wife and I really liked like their first meeting where they're talking about their well, they comp- childhood. Yeah, when they compare whose life is worse. Right. And then at the end, when you know she's mad at him for leaving, she's just had to deal with this like, sort of traumatic, violent experience, and you know he's trying to explain. You know, that's the other thing about this movie is that it's very much about, you know, one of the things that we look for in movies, does the character have an arc? Is the character likable? That sort of thing. And as much as people have sort of shit on the idea of, oh, Deadpool is this sort of walking caricature of a comic book character, this character had an arc. This character was likable. This character, from from start to finish, uh, I thought was fairly complex. For all the you know the nonsense that gets piled on top of it, you know I think it's very much people are are, are you know it's like you, you come for the you come for the swear words and the dick jokes and the violent action you stay because the character itself is interesting, and one of the things that I that we liked about it was you know they set it up in the beginning oh the well the thing that's sort of drawing them to each other is that they're both sort of they're both broken individuals, and then later on when she's trying to figure out why this man left her. You know, and and she's trying to put all these pieces together and and deciding whether or not she should even forgive him for everything that he's done. The first thing he says is, I live in a crack house. (laughs) And it takes her a minute to realize what he's saying. And then she goes, so you guys live in a house, huh? And we love that. You know, my wife and I are looking at, are listening to that and we're watching it. We're going, see, that's, to me, that's good that that's that's what makes a good movie. So I mean, it was set up, it was paid off, it you know it, it told you about the characters of over-explaining things. It was a moment that was really nice, you know. It, it it spoke to the love that those two had for each other. Thought it was great, and there's a lot of moments like that in this movie. There you know there's a moment that he has with teenage Negasonic Warhead, where she's like, okay, you're cool, you know, because <laughs> the whole because their whole thing is. He keeps making these these um, references to things he has no idea what he's talking about. So he comes across like grandpa, and then she finally kind of like accepts him towards the end, and he loves that that she that she accepts him. So it was great. And then he ruins it right afterwards by playing Wham. <laughs> well, you know what are you gonna do? All right. No, so uh, again, I, I agree with a lot of your points there. And when I say, I think the movie was well-written, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. If you complain about Deadpool being a caricature of a comic book character, really you're fundamentally looking at him after his introduction, because a, he got way too overexposed uh, Mm. for a lot of people's tastes as as a character, not necessarily for this movie, but the larger character and the cultural zeitgeist. Just as an aside, Marvel had this horrible, from about the late 90s on, had this horrible uh, way of doing things where if something caught fire, they drove it to the bank and, and beat it into the ground. Oh, you yeah. like you know, multiple covers on your comic books? We're going to do that with everything now. Oh, you like, oh, you like a character that breaks the fourth wall? Here you go. He's everywhere. Oh, you like Wolverine? Great, Wolverine will be in the Avengers. Wolverine will be in the X Men. Wolverine will have his own comic. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, you yeah. like Spider Man? Here's 97 different versions of Spider Man. <laughs> you just want to shoot yourself in the face. 
Yeah, and I think Deadpool as an overarching character suffered from that. His actual, like, his, again, his origin, his kind of introduction story, and some of the truth behind that character are a lot more interesting than he became when he turned into a joke because people liked him and Marvel wanted to cash in. Yeah. And fortunately for the writing of this movie, they channeled him being interesting as opposed to him being insufferable. And that's why the movie made $300 million so far. Well, that and... Deadpool as a film has this weird counterculture thing going for it. Yeah, can we talk about that for a minute? Like, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 was, I was really worried when I went in to see this movie that this was going to be... That I was going to come out of it and say this is to comic book movies what, like, Hostel is to horror movies. It's just let's put as much stupid crap on the screen as possible. It wasn't that... But it was so very it's everything about this is the opposite of a conventional comic book movie, as we have come to understand them. And it's successful because it appeals to a demographic in fans of comic book, you know, in comic fans that maybe are a little bit tired of, you know, movie executives and directors and I disagree with elements of this perspective, but I'm simply stating what I, fe- what, I see- what I get from you know the larger audience. They're a little bit tired of their properties, of their babies being monkeyed with. And again, source material is not a sacred cow that you can't slaughter, but people feel that way about it. Well, it's been disrespected. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's that. And then there, and again, if you do it right, it's fine. If you do it just because, well, I think I can do it better. And no, you're actually much worse. That's a whole different discussion. Let me interrupt you with this. Look at the whole story of Deadpool, um, how the the movie came to be. It starts with Wolverine Origins, where they not only fuck up Deadpool, but they also fuck up Gambit. And the movie itself is trash. And then, uh, you know, you have Green Lantern, which is trash. Again, with Ryan Reynolds, you have you have so many different movies where um, they've taken beloved character, beloved comic book characters, and put no thought into what they were doing. You know, one of the best examples of this is Catwoman with Halle Berry. Uh. I mean, that was supposed to be a movie about the actual character Catwoman, and it ends up being with laughably bad. Oof. Uh. I don't even know what you, what you would call it, but there's no there's no. If it was self-aware, it would be the height of character. satire and parody. Right. Then you have the Ghost Rider films with Nicolas Cage, one of which uh, one a, of which was one of which you can only I feel watch while you're on. A bit unfairly maligned in one sense. In another, I think they made a catastrophic error in judgment by trying to make the. And this is the other thing that kind of goes into the appeal of Deadpool. They have taken, uh, I mean, Tony Stark, for example. This is something you and I have talked about. One of the quintessential storylines centering around Tony Stark is Demon in the Bottle. Because of the demographics that the films appeal to, that story is never going to be adapted onto the big screen. 
the closest yeah. we are ever going to get is a five-minute bit in the middle of Iron Man 2. Right, where he's eating donuts. Uh, no, before that, where he's at his birthday party and drunk. Well, that's all one thing. But my point is, there are all these aspects of comics that are removed or tampered with in an effort to appeal to the broadest possible audience when you're talking about a Disney-owned Marvel franchise. And to have a property that so gloriously executes, no, screw that, I kill people, I behead them, I slam them into... Yeah, you know, I break their heads against things. I decapitate people. I dismember them. I cut off my own hand. I swear profusely. I break the fourth wall. And you know, here's some nudity for you just because. Because Morena Baccarin is outstandingly hot. Uh, again, when I say when I say they, the, there's nudity in this movie that is gratuitous. It's actually not that sequence. It's when they go to a strip club later on. There's just no point for it. There is absolutely no reason for it. Hence, well, I mean, the character's a stripper, and they went looking for her. Not sure, you know. I mean, like, I remember people talking about it, like, oh, there's gratuitous nudity in this thing. I'm like, well, when you make a stripper character, you probably need to show them at a strip club at some point. In most strip clubs I've been to, people are naked. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm aware of it. I just it served no purpose to the narrative. You can have that same basic setup without excessive nudity. You could, but again, I've been in strip clubs and there's excessive nudity. And well, again, I'm not calling the any of the you know love sequences between them excessive because they made a conscious choice artistically to go that route. In which case, That's yes, they point. both have to be naked. That's my point. Like, I didn't feel like any of the nudity in the movie was excessive or gratuitous. If she had been uh, again, an to me, to me, it's just that. <laughs> strip club scene where we get unnecessary wide shots that uh, linger for too long. I disagree, but, you know, I, I think you want to get a sense of atmosphere. You want to sh- show the place you're shooting in. I think far too much, you know, they're, they're, you have directors who make a choice to just stay with one character and you don't get any wide, wide scenes. You have no sense of where they are or what they're doing. Yeah, you might, they might be in a club, but I always find I always find those scenes to be somewhat confusing and, you know, and I don't know. I like the fact, and not, you know, I mean, and, and not because, okay, oh, goody tits on the screen, but I mean, I like the fact that they went wide and they showed you the scene, the atmosphere that they're in at the time. And then, you know, and then when they were done with it, they moved on. Gratuitous would have been if they, after they capture Vanessa, you know, they go back in there for no apparent reason. You know, once the, once the scene served its purpose, they were done with it. Yeah, again, I just think that whole you could have accomplished that same goal without excessive nudity. But you know, what would have been gratuitous had they actually shown Gina Carano's boobs. Yeah, that would have. I, and I did get a mild kick out of Colossus, you know, partially freezing at the sight of female nudity. <laughs> All right, we have uh, about 25 minutes left here before uh, we run out of live time. And so let's play our favorite game, Who Won the Weekend and What Did the Critics Say? Only the Rotten Ones. So as we said before, 
worldwide, uh, Deadpool made $316 million. Um, Already greenlit a sequel. Ryan Reynolds will have his own day at the Fox Studios from now until the end of time. <laughs> um, it's made $163 million domestic. It broke retarded amount of records, as we said earlier. It's the biggest R-rated opening ever, if memory serves. It's the biggest R-rated opening in February. It's the biggest R-rated IMAX movie ever opening. It's the biggest opening weekend in February movie history. Yeah. It's the biggest 3D R-rated movie opening ever. Um... Yep, number one opening weekend in, ever in Fox history, number one opening weekend ever for an R-rated film, number one February opening weekend, number one winter opening weekend, number two opening weekend ever for an original Marvel property, number five Behind opening only the Avengers, and I would property. actually argue that the Avengers is not an original Marvel property at that point. <laughs> um, it absolutely slaughtered its competition. Well, nothing was, even... Nothing even came close. <laughs> um, which, okay, you know, it was up against Zoolander 2. That thankfully dog. no one saw. Thank you, humanity, for giving me a little bit of faith back in you. Uh, so the weekend goes like this. Uh, for the weekend of uh, the 12th through the 15th, which was uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we have Deadpool at number one, Kung Fu Panda at number two, which made another $25 million that weekend. How to Be Single, which debuted at number three, and then Zoolander 4, which came in at number four. Uh, Star Wars, by the way, still over $2 billion, not, hasn't quite over, uh, overtaken Titanic just yet. Made another $7 million, though. Uh, rounding out the top ten was The Revenant, Hail Caesar, The Choice, and Ride Along too, still making still making a lot of money. Yeah, people don't see Zoolander too. Just make better choices. <laughs> Ride Along Two is actually the number fourth uh, worldwide the highest grossing movie of uh, uh, highest grossing movie. Right now, it's Monster Hunt, which is some Chinese Chinaman movie, Deadpool, Kung Fu Panda Three, and the Ride Along. It got a lot of goodwill from the first one, which for some reason people liked. I don't know. Well, I mean, people are still going to see it. Zoolander is number 13th worldwide, just ahead of Hail Caesar. Wow. That's, 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 <laughs> hang on. Zoolander is going to tank further next week because no one cares, and Hail Caesar might actually stick around. Yeah, well, they're only within 4 million of each other, so there you go. Um, so that, those are your numbers. Uh, pretty obvious Deadpool won the weekend there. On Rotten Tomatoes, um, we have an 84%. Oh, uh, we actually have a caller. Huh. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Why would I? Um, why? Why would I do that? Let's see. Where is this? Before you take the call, where is this person calling from? Five one two. Yeah, I know. I'm looking. It's also a Lamb of God song. It's good to know. I'll just take the call. All right. I think I know who this is. All right. Area code 512. You're on the air. Good evening, Mark Rattlish and Robert Winfrey. Good evening, everyone. Talking about some Deadpool, the Merc with the Mouth, and everything. Very exciting. I think just to sort of nail down, 
what was so effective about this movie is this was the Deadpool movie that fans have been waiting for for so many years. And if you think about it, as you said, Mark, this started with X-Men Origins. It's been seven years since that movie now. So think about people waiting seven years just for this movie. And the R rating, the reason, the R rating, it's not just an R rating. What this rating does is it gives us something different and less cookie cutter than what we usually get from comic book superhero movies, which tend to follow a specific formula. This doesn't have, it has similar beats, but it has a different structure. It sounds different. It looks different. And it can do things those other movies cannot because they had a lower budget. So they had to, And because of the lower budget, they, the, they had to get a little more creative. This film lost $7 million right off the top, right before it went into production. So just think about that. Think about how Fantastic Four, that movie from last August, that movie lost like three big action sequences right before it went into production, and so did this movie. And look how this movie turned out. So you have a talented group of people behind this movie who believed in it, who've been on this project for years, and they knew what the fans want, and they, more than any other, I think, comic book film, understood what the fans wanted here. And, Robert, that nudity, I'm sorry, was far from gratuitous because there was only like a few shots of it. I think you can take a few shots of nudity in a strip club. And we didn't even see Marina Baccarin naked, if you really think about it. Yeah, she was having sex with him, but she was really covered up the whole time. And all we got was we got some Ryan Reynolds penis and some Ryan Reynolds ass. So looking forward to the rest of it, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. That Jeff didn't remind me. We we aborted our conversation of this this becoming a happening. Um, this is sort of like a cultural event, you know. In that, because I mean, look, for it to have made three hundred million, this didn't just bring in comic book fans. Um, you know, this was a this was com- this was this was obviously a lot of guys bringing their girlfriends, and they even poke fun at that in the middle of the movie. But I'll tell you, um, I was looking, I, having seen it Sunday and paying attention to Facebook and all of that. I noticed that a lot of my non-comic book reading female friends, and I've got a bunch, saw this movie. Um, Not just here in Florida, but also in New York as well, where I'm originally from. I was noticing that there were a lot of people uh, who were checking in at the theater seeing Deadpool. And there there has to be a reason for that. Like, this came across as, as one of those it's events that, oh, oh, this is the cool thing to do, so let, let's go do it. You know, people who don't normally go see comic book movies, maybe don't even normally go to the movies, but this was the cool counterculture thing to do, and it brought those people out. And I'm sure the there was everybody also swears they've seen Nirvana live at least once. <laughs> and I'm sure there was also an element of people who, you know, this this being Valentine's Day and not everybody has uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and going, okay, well, I don't want to sit home eating chocolate, crying about my lonely state of being. I want to go out and do something, and giving him your choices are Zoolander 2, a sequel to a movie that came out 15 years ago. And was not that successful. Oh, yeah, or a movie that, uh, you know, that's a chick flick about being single starring Rebel Wilson. Hooray. <laughs> so... 
so yeah, I think that again, was the there's a it. there's a reason there's a huge and I've mentioned this specifically as it pertains to horror movies, but it works well here as well. There's a you know people who like movies like that don't spring in and out of existence. I mean, I like horror movies. I don't stop liking them after the month of October ends. You know, right. you like big blockbusters that doesn't have a start date of May and a close date of August. You know, you don't stop liking those types of movies in September. Right. And the ability to appeal to the demographics who feel slighted or who just have nothing out for them at that point in time is a pretty powerful tool. I mean, it also has nothing to contest it. I mean, before, I mean, look, the last big opening was Kung Fu Panda 3. I'm assuming there's not a whole lot of overlap here between, you know, the demographics for Deadpool and Kung Fu Panda 3. There's not a major release that's going to give it problems until... Man. Okay, the only thing that might give it problems in terms of what's coming out in the near future, believe it or not, is Zootopia, because, you know, Disney animated feature. But, I mean, we're waiting until Batman v Superman before we're get, it's going to have serious competition for your dollar. So that's a month. That's a month. Month and a week from now. Okay. Today is the seventeenth. Yeah. Yeah. Today is February seventeenth. That movie comes out March twenty fifth. So you have a month and about a week of you know, of Deadpool being pretty much uncontested. Because just looking at, I mean, we're going to take two weeks off uh, because there's nothing really worth. Well, you're taking two weeks off. If I see the, I'm I'm planning on seeing The Witch, and if I think it's awesome and someone else wants to talk about it with me, I'll do that. But by and large, yeah. Um, yeah. Until March fourth, when London Has Fallen comes out. Yeah. Uh, let's with- be fair. That's not. I mean, unless Deadpool <laughs> has no, unless. This movie has no legs. And again, I joked with you about what would inspire you to see it a second time. Well, at the moment, it's lack of better options, really. Like I said, it was a fun enough movie and it moved quick enough that there'd be reason to go see it again. All right, let's, uh, before we get out of here, let's quick go over some of my favorites or rotten reviews here. Again, uh, before Jeff called in, again, I want to thank him for calling in and being brief. Um, 84% certified fresh there on the old Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it, uh, had, uh, 74 fresh reviews and then, uh, 30, damn it, lost my place. Ah, uh, yes. 174, 174, 174 fresh reviews and only 34 are rotten. So, uh, some party poopies here in the mix and I'll read a few of them to you. Some of these I shared with you beforehand. Our first one comes from the Disassociated Press. Thank you, Bugs Funny. Miss Lindsay Barr. In the end, it's hard to shake the feeling that they've made a movie for boys that only adults are allowed to see. For the future sleepover party where some open-minded parents allow a screaming, um, it'll be it'll certainly be a blast. No, ma'am, this was made for adults. It was not made for teenage boys. There's a fundamental disconnect here in understanding that. Uh, how do I phrase this? Appealing to 
boys. And appealing to men is an issue of subject, is an issue of degrees more than it is an issue of quality of content. This is made for adults. The fact that the vast majority of adult males still find dick jokes funny is simply a fact of life. Lamentable or not is up to you. This is made for adults. It simply deals with juvenile humor in a great many ways. But it's not made for teenage boys. That's not who this is aimed at. Our next one comes from Mike Ryan of Uprocks. Deadpool can fancy itself up as much as it wants and insist it's something totally different. But yep, here we are, another superhero movie origin story. Uh, yes, this person put no thought into their review at all. Gave it a 5 out of 10, by the way. Yeah, I'd go with 6 or 7 out of 10 personally, which makes it a pass. But I, But his comment to me was, he was wow wait we're introducing a character to a wider audience and we're telling an origin story who would have thought logic might play a role in this <laughs> jaded miserable miscreant that's what i'm saying um i'm a tad okay, sick of origin stories as a general rule as well that doesn't mean it's not the right way to go when introducing a character there are only five plots in this world people five and, you know, we're into how many years of movie making? Get over it. Allison Wilmore of BuzzFeed. It's fun for a while. And then it all becomes deeply disheartening. Because calling attention to the more business-like mechanics of superheroes isn't subversive when you're also playing right into them. Yeah. I see what she's trying to say. I also think that it's like you don't quite understand how satire is supposed to work here. Yes, uh, he's is... dealing with low-level stuff, and yes, he's playing into type, but that's deliberate because that's the way the character is. I mean, if you don't like it, fine. I'm not a huge fan of it personally. That doesn't mean it's poorly executed. I was going to read from the New York Times and the New York Post, but this one's so bad, I, I have to go right to it. Brian Tallarico from RogerEbert.com says, Deadpool fails to live up to the potential of its beloved source material, subverting its own agenda by becoming a remarkably generic by-the-numbers man-in-tights flick. What was remarkably generic about this movie compared to other origin stories like, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? I, I, there's not a big enough board for me to smack my head against. There just <laughs> isn't. And here's my favorite from the San Francisco Chronicle, Mike LaSalle, top critic. This is bad, borderline garbage, but disturbing, too, in that it's just the kind of fake, clever awfulness that might be cinema's future. You see, I agree with him in the sense that fake, clever awfulness is a very sad direction we're all heading. I can tell you why. It's because we have a generation of people coming out of college trying to get into writing who think that Seth MacFarlane is God's gift to comedy. And you're a bunch of idiots. This is not the. If you want to make that point about this is not something we need to go with as a general you know, populace, I agree with you. This is not the movie to point to and say, don't do this. 
point to a Tina Fey movie and say, don't do this. <laughs> uh, again, the humor in this movie does not appeal to me personally. That doesn't stop it from being generally well-written and well-executed. I think that's just going to, uh, that's about going to do it. Um, wonder what else Fox is putting out this year. Uh, let's see. Let's see. They're off to a good start. Um, Eddie the Eagle, the other side of the door. Century Fox. Keeping up with the Joneses, so a lot of nothing. Searchlight <laughs> has demolition. No. No, man. They're like ignoring, you know, the big summer wow. season, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, they, oh, they like, have I mean, they have Apocalypse. Well, yeah, they have excellent Apocalypse, but I mean, you would think that Fox would, you know, put some Oh, they have Independence set. Day Resurgence. There we go. Independence Day coming out. Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, which apparently is a Zac Efron comedy directed by and Jay Jake Szymanski. No one should see that. Oh, the the next Ice Age, and there they have that has its fan base. Yeah, that'll be one of the children's movies I'm not going to see this year. I'm telling you right now, Fox is coming out of the gate well, but they're they're not putting up a, a Cure for Wellness directed by Gova Binti. Um, they're not coming, they're, they're not, they don't have a strong enough film slate in 2016 to compete with, with, uh, Disney or Universal or quite frankly, Warner Bros. They got the Assassin's Creed movie coming out in December. That's not enough. If you look at... No, no, in terms of just number of pictures released this year, they're taking a minimalist approach. Well, that's the thing. They're going to get killed. If you look at, first of all... No, 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 no. Listen to listen to what I'm saying. If you look at the amount of movies that are being put out by Walt Disney, first of all, between Lucasfilm, Pixar, uh, Marvel, and uh, and you know, and just their, their regular line of pictures, there, there's no way Fox competes. Now, then look at Universal. Same thing. Universal has a huge slate of movies coming out this year. That's going to be rough to beat. And if Warner Brothers actually lucks into Suicide Squad and Batman vs Superman doing well. Yeah, Fox is going to be lucky to have a movie in the top five, if at best. Well, here's the, the other thing about that. Hang on, hang on. That's a valid point, but the other thing we have to consider about Fox is the drubbing they took last year. I think they're going to be happy just being profitable at the close of 2016 from their movie studios' perspective. Well, they only had one last year in the top ten, and that was The Martian. And prior to Look, that, and- I think. With San Andreas. Yeah, and well, I mean, honestly, this is an issue of if they're trying to scale back to retain profitability instead of taking the shotgun approach, I'm okay with that. I can support that. I mean, look, if everything they put out this year makes money, I mean, Mm -hmm. even if none of it is, you know, gangbusters, record shattering, apart from, you know, the record's Deadpool is broken. If nothing else they release breaks any records, but all of it is solidly profitable, they're going to be happy, and they should be. So they, they can get through a year of no gem on the holograms. Or Fantastic Four. Yeah. God, well, so far they're doing well. Deadpool and Kung Fu Panda, two and three worldwide. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, like I said, it's just sort of uh, just sort of a blank slate 
going. Well, they also might be trying to avoid taking any risks this year because, again, you've got they have X Men Apocalypse coming out, but you've also you're also going to face some pretty stiff competition from Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. uh, Civil War. There are a couple of big releases this year. Then they might have just been deliberately holding back some stuff that they're worried about so that it has no competition at some point next year. Well, the last thing I want to say about this, and, you know, this is, this could almost start up a whole new conversation, but I really want to keep it short with the success of Deadpool. Deadpool has its own slate of characters, um, which may or may not have come over in the licensing deal that they first had when they, when, when they got the rights to the X properties many, many, many years ago. Um, At this point, if I'm, if I'm at Fox and I'm looking at their licenses and I'm looking at my deal with Marvel, I'm ba- I, I, at this point I'm saying, just take the Fantastic Four back. Give us more characters related to Deadpool. Give us more mutants. Let us have pretty much everything that side of the table and take the Fantastic Four back and just work on, and, and, and just work off now You've got, you know, Wolverine, which is its own lane. You've got the X-Men, which is its own lane. And now you have Deadpool, which you have a brand new uh, intellectual property that you can milk for all it's worth. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Gavin Napier said something interesting that bears consideration. If you look at where 20th Century Fox is with their comic properties – they have the capability of putting together a team movie that's very dark. And I don't mean that in, in, when I say dark, I don't mean, you know, deep depressing, but in the in more in the vein of this Deadpool movie in terms of, you know, violence. Because they could do Uncanny X-Force, which is a group of mutant assassins comprised of Deadpool, Wolverine, Psylocke and Phantom X. And you're going to be introducing Psylocke and X-Men Apocalypse, even if you have a terrible casting choice that went with it. Oh, you shut up! Olivia Munn is gorgeous. I disagree. Do you have a problem with olive-skinned women? Not at all. I don't understand you. That's okay. Olivia Munn is absolutely stunning. Not as stunning as Marina Buck. Yeah, she was great on uh, on Newsroom. Yeah, I disagree. I think oh, the only I think uh, no, I seriously, I think the only redeeming thing about Newsroom was Jeff Daniels. No, Newsroom was I great. Think all the, I think the rest of that. Uh, well, bear in mind Jeff Daniels and the writing that went into his character. I thought the rest of it was not uh, mediocre at best. You are answer the picnic, my friend. Answer the picnic. Wow, I have a different perspective. Yay me. <laughs> Yes, and your perspective is wrong. Marina Bacharin, uh, Marina Bacharin and Olivia Munn are absolutely stunning. Yes, Olivia Munn is per- half the reason I want to go see X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, because personal preference as it pertains to physical attractiveness must be universally stamped and coded on the back of your skull. Plugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick summation. Uh, if, you, if you're listening to this, you probably actually already have seen the movie. Uh, again, my dislike aside, it's generally well made. It's Ryan Reynolds does a fine acting job. Uh, Marina Bachrin is fine. Everyone else is just kind of there, but 
I can only criticize that so much when that's by design. Because really, this is the Ryan Reynolds show and everyone else is just along for the ride. Uh, if you think the humor will appeal to you, it probably will. I will reiterate, this is not for children. If you are contemplating taking your second or third grader to this movie, please turn them over to the state. <laughs> no, I, I'm rather serious about that. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. And again, my personal opinion notwithstanding, well-made movie, made a lot of money. People seem to enjoy it. Good for you guys. Uh, there will not be an edition of the 411 Ground and Pound radio show this week. I will be providing live coverage of UFC Fight Night 83 that night, that Sunday evening. This Friday, Mark is jumping on a live grenade for me and covering a Bellator event headlined by Ken Shamrock fighting Horse Gracie of the co-main event of Kimbo Slice and Doodoo 37. I don't know. Dada 5000, baby. Yeah. X going to give it to uh, you. This one. Saturday... <laughs> This Saturday, we'll be covering the World Series of Fighting event because they asked me to. That's about it. Uh, all right. Mark and I are taking a couple of weeks off. Uh, stay tuned to see if that changes. I might be back with a review of The Witch if someone else wants to review it with me. Until then, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.